I'm known for my vocal talents. Motherfuckers, my name is Darian. I'm back for another week of horror, business, goodness, badness, stinkiness, sweatiness, funkiness. It's just me once again, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. I think it's just going to be me from now on. I'm I am feverishly on the hunt for further co-hosts, guest spots, and other sex dolls, potted plants. My kids won't come in here anymore because they say it smells weird. I don't blame them. I'm sure it does. I don't even smell it myself, but I don't know. I should probably spray it Febreze. Febreze something or spray something down. I don't know. It's, it is it is a little gamey in here. Anyway, uh, buddy, out. Still busy with work. Monica, unfortunately, is there's a lot of things going on. And I don't want to uh, you know spill the beans on her personal business, but... She's got a lot on her plate. We're going to respect her and her space and wish her the best and hope she can somehow, some way, rejoin us at some point down the road. Uh, but in the meantime, you motherfuckers, it's just me. I ain't, go- I ain't going anywhere. It's just me, dude. I'll do the goddamn thing by myself. Whatever, whatever it takes to get this show out to you, I am prepared to do, my friends. And that includes uh, partial and frontal nudity. Uh, with eh, I'm I'm flexible on penetration, and I mean that in more ways than one. <laughs> I don't th- I don't know if you want a triple X podcast, but I'm willing to negotiate. I'll hear your offer, and then we'll move forward in a business-like and professional manner. I got horror news. I got uh, listener mail. I got all kinds of fun stuff coming at you. I got the Terra Dome right around the corner. Let's kick things off, my friends. With a little of the old horror news, like we always do about this time. (laughs) Horror news. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because Gun Media has announced... A Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game. Now, trailers are already up. You can find them at Bloody Disgusting. From what I've read, and I could be completely off base, it's going to follow the template of all these other horror survival games. It basically boils down to a four-against-one scenario in which one person plays the killer, in this case probably Leatherface, the other four play survivors or... um, army personnel or whatever the case may be it's it's the, basically the same thing 
as the Friday the 13th game, Dead by Daylight, that Predator game from what I understand, although I heard that's a lot of fun. Um, there, there's like a host of these games now, and they're all kind of floating around there. My question is this. Leatherface is already a character in Dead by Daylight. Now, Dead by Daylight has recently pulled all of their Stranger Things characters, although I already bought them, so I don't have to worry about it. But if you haven't bought them yet, they pulled them from all their online stores. So what I'm wondering is, is this going to affect Leatherface and Dead by Daylight? There's a good probability that it will. Um, the game looks cool. I mean, we didn't get to see any actual gameplay. All you get to see is like little snippets of the storyline. It looks like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, dude. Uh, try not to get hit with a hammer and drug into some kind of a weird taxidermy uh, dance-off situation. <laughs> and if you have the option of not picking up the hitchhiker, let's not do that. He's a stinky fucker, and he's going to blow up a picture of your handicapped brother. You don't want it. You don't want that. I got bad news for you dudes. Anne Rice has passed away at the ripe old age of 80. Anne Rice. We know the name. We know her work. Uh, interview That whole Interview with a Vampire uh, series, you know what I'm saying? The Lestat, the um, what, uh, uh, Queen of the Damned, that one too, you know, all that stuff. I got to be honest with you dudes. I never found her. I've read several of her books. I never found her to be a horror writer by any means. She was a, uh, like a, in my opinion, like a dark eroticist, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess. Uh, vampires, fine. Not that scary when they want to suck your dick. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I'm saying. You know, it's when they're, when they're talking about like how rosy and, you know, undead passion and all that stuff. That's great. I love it. Don't get me wrong. And I'm all for like a vampire romance, but it's not scary. It's not horror. It's just a vampire love story. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I read all of her uh, Interview with the Vampire books. Interview with the Vampire, Queen of the Damned, The Vampire Lestat. They're great. Uh, very storied trilogy, for lack of a better term. She also wrote a couple of mummy books, Ramses the Damned, uh, The Witching Hour. Um, I have not read her Witching Hour books. And from what I understand, they, uh, they're pretty good, but they, they're pretty good. I'll just leave it at that. They're not horror stories, dude. They're not meant to scare you. They're meant to, uh, get you, get you ready. They're meant for you to beat off too, is what I'm trying to say. All right. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, unfortunately, she has passed away. She's 80 years old. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's a good run. Uh, I don't think we have a cause of death yet, but at 80, you know, you're 80. That should be the cause of death. What, what happened to Anne Rice? She's 80. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Universal Pictures is developing a new take on Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> A new take on Phantom of the Opera. Now, if they had said that they were going to remake Phantom of the Opera, I'm all right with that. I could do that. Um, if they said they were going to like rework Phantom of the Opera, they, they said they're making a new take. So here's what I'm saying, dudes. Phantom, The Phantom is probably going to be female. Um, she's going to be smitten in a uh, same-sex relationship with a opera singer. Or uh, there's going to be like some kind of a racial undertone where, I don't know, it's in the South, in the, the uh, uh, 
I don't know, turn of the century and the, the phantom happens to be black and there's a white lynch mob, there's going to be some goddamn uh, social commentary here. I can tell you right now. I can tell you right fucking now. Have I been wrong yet? No, I have not. What else we got here? Henry Thomas and Kate Siegel are confirmed for Fall of the House of Usher. This is uh, Mike Flanagan's upcoming series for Netflix. This is going to be, I mean, we already know what's coming, right? It's going to be great. I can tell you that right now. Um, It's going to have basically the same cast. This guy puts out a kick-ass series for Netflix once a year. Uh, uh, Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Bly Manor. I know a lot of people didn't like it. I did. Um, what else? Uh, that uh, Midnight Mass? Huh? What do you think of that? Did you, have you seen that? How can you... Dude, I'm not going to ruin, ruin it for you. I know a lot of you probably haven't seen it, but think about that. Midnight Mass. It's a va- I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm not even going to give you the concept if you haven't seen it. But if you like any of those, and I thought they were all great, by all means, dude, let's get on to... Um, Follow the house of of, uh, of uh, Usher, Henry Thomas and Kate Siegel. Those are like two guarantees for any kind of a Flanagan uh, production, right? Uh, let Let's go back all the way to, uh, geez, let's see here. Not upset. Uh, Doctor Sleep. They were both in Doctor Sleep. They were both in. Um, not uh, Henry Thomas was not in Hush. As I recall, he may they may have snuck him in there somewhere. They were both in all of those series. Um, what else? You got uh, Gerald's Game. They're both in there. Carla Gugino. Where's she at? I don't remember seeing her in Midnight Mass or Doctor Sleep. She should have been in Doctor Sleep. She was a staple of Flanagan's also, as she should be, because she is screaming hot, my friends. What else do we have here? All right, so. <laughs> This is uh, something for your kids. It's a new series coming to uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. It's called Astrid and Lily Save the World. And basically, it's uh, two teenage girls, uh, basically as monster hunters kind of a thing. So, I'm not big on the sci-fi shows, man. I'm not. I'm sorry. Um, I've heard good things about this new uh, Chucky series. I just don't know if I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm in no hurry to watch it myself. I'm in no hurry to watch uh, Astrid and Lily save the world. I might turn my kids on to it, you know, because they definitely need a fucking break from YouTube. And I don't know. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not, there's, there's some stuff out there. But as far as this look, that from, I watched the trailer. All right. I know it sounds like I'm having a stroke. I just have all these thoughts coming in. I watched the trailer of uh, for uh, Astrid and Lily Save the World. It looks like a kid show. Okay. Um, sci-fi has become very woke of of late, as has just about everybody else. So you can expect like some uh, anti-bullying stuff and probably some kind of racial equity situation. There's going to be some same-sex love situations. Uh, all that stuff. And from what I hear, that's pretty heavily impacted into uh chucky the chucky series also so there's that for you i'm me i'm gonna skip astrid and lily save the world unless i need to just fucking put my kids in front of the tv maybe they can dig it maybe maybe not i don't know my son's got a very discerning horror palette already like today he came to me and said he wanted to do a show on halloween kills which we will do eventually he saw it he saw the whole thing but 
I got a feel like me at his age, you know, I grew up on American Werewolf in London and, uh, you know, the howling in uh, like the first three Friday the 13th movies. You, you sit me down at the ripe old age of uh, 10 years old and try to tell me the Monster Squad is a good movie. I'm going to give you the finger. <laughs> I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself because these aren't real vampires and werewolves. These are caricatures. But that's a whole other podcast right there. All right, that's it on the horror news, you sons of bitches. How about some uh, listener mail coming at you? Listener mail. Well, yeah, listener mail. We got emails, we got voicemails, we got all kinds of fun stuff coming at me. Um, how about we start things off in the land of the rising sun, our main man in Japan. Here comes Kevin Lonely Bob, as some of you may know him, former host of um, Death by Horror, which was a great... Um, it was, a, it was a cool show. It hasn't been on for quite a while, and I wish they would bring it back. And for those of you that don't know, Kevin actually sounds exactly like Matthew Broderick. And he, I know he, he doesn't like it when I say that, but I'm going to tell you right now. If you dig up, go back into the uh, iTunes archives. Find Death by Horror. It's him and uh, Morbius. And they do like a weird role-playing game kind of a situation thing with horror movies. But I'll tell you what. If you needed a stand-in for Ferris Bueller, or if you wanted to do like a Ferris Bueller cartoon, Kevin, Kevin, Lonely Bob, that's the man for the job. Let's see what he has to say here, shall we? Subject line, seasons, greetings. Hey, Padded Room crew. Spontaneous was a great young adult drama with some graphic blood explosions. The ending is actually optimistic, which is nice. Change of pace from another show on Legion Podcast. Listen To that, I think I agree with. The story is inspired by kids in the U.S. surviving school shootings. So maybe it puts the plot in a different light if you consider the film with that in mind. Um, I would agree with you, Kevin, except for the fact that there's like a 14 to 25 minute interlude in the middle in which all the kids of the one in particular class are quarantined. I don't know how that would fit into a school shooting subtext. And really, you know, the the premise of two kids falling in love during a school shooting is a bit much. I mean, I guess it could have... Because really, if you think about it, Spontaneous is more of a, a teenage love story than a horror movie or anything else, or even a dark comedy for that matter. What we're interested in is um, the goofy kid with the long hair falling in with, falling in love with the awkward chubby chick and those two wanting to live happily ever after, as they should, in the midst of all this chaos. Now, I would, I would surmise that in the throes of, the, of a school shooting, panic, confusion, fear, anxiety... Not so much with the romance, but that's just my opinion. Either way, I I see the correlation. I just don't think it necessarily applies to this film. 
for last week's The Children, I watched it on Tubi, and it wasn't terrible. So thanks for finding one of the good movies on there. If it isn't a Christmas movie, then it's at least Christmas adjacent. I would agree with that. For this week's Terror Dome, I vote for The Killer Tomato, because they're my selection of killer this year. So I'm voting for the home team. Of course you are, Kevin. God damn it. It's a fucking tomato, people. All right? Really? You're going you're gonna to make me keep going with this tomato horse shit? Fine. I don't care. I don't care. If that's what you want, that's what I'll do. Uh, let's get over to Sydney, Australia. Here comes our main man, Team. What's up, Tim? Tim, also a horror podcaster. You can find him right here on the Padded Room Network. Horror for Dummies is his show. He does it with Luffy. Luffy. <laughs> Mr. Mushroom, as I like to call him. Uh, subject line, Christmas cheers. Hey, y'all, Darian. Hope you are well this week. I'm, ass- I'm assuming you are alone this week. But if not, then howdy to Buddy, Monica, or other. No, it's just me, Tim, as usual. Last week, you said that the original Alien was somewhat of a slasher film. I agree with your thoughts, but I'm curious. If Alien is a slasher, is the original Predator as well? That's an interesting concept, Tim. I never really thought of that. I never really considered the Predator into the slasher equation. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to that. The reason why I say it is because there is far too much action in Predator leading up to the first of the slasher kills. But, I mean, the the whole point of the slasher is that the victims, in my humble opinion, are just those, victims. Um, there's going to be a couple with some nice boobies bouncing around, and there's going to be a couple of dudes that we may identify with or we may like or may not like, but we're not really invested in these guys because we know that they're going to get shoved into a meat grinder. Now, Predator, on the other hand... I don't know about you, Tim, but I love that paramilitary team. Uh, Dutch and his uh, rescue squad, Mac, Blaine, uh, who else? Uh, what was his name? Paco, Pedro, uh, the Mexican guy, uh, Billy, for Christ's sakes. Jesus Christ. Dude, Watch. find me a 13-year-old. Uh, circa 1987 that watched Predator and did not want to pick up that fucking minigun that Blaine had and just open up on a big empty jungle? Oh, shit, yes, please. Please sign me up for that. In fact, I did sign up for that. I was a United States Marine for a while. Um, But I wouldn't call it a slasher, per se. Unless you're just going to watch the second half of the movie, or I guess like the second 40 minutes, more or less. Uh, Once the, uh, you know, they they hit up the um, guerrilla camp, and then they rescue, or they don't. They take the chick hostage. After that, it kind of goes into slasher territory. But I don't know. More of a more of an action horror for me, I guess. But that's an interesting interesting concept, Tim. I never thought of that. Um, Terradome. Okay, this one is easy to decide. It's honestly a no brainer. The tomato would smash the mummy. I'm taking the tomato on this. Go fucking fuck off, Tim. Really, really, the tomato. It's a tomato. You understand that? You probably ate one on a Caesar salad within the last 24 hours, you son of a bitch. And that's going to take down Aminette? No, no. Darian, I'm not 100% sure who you are, but I'm going to take a shot and say you're Wakewood. You are correct, Tim. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Keep up the great work, and I'll be thinking of you all night long. Oh! I added the howl. (laughs) 
<laughs> there at the end. Thank you very much for writing in, Tim. Your votes are locked in. Inmates, I'm curious about this. Tim poses an interesting question. Do you think Predator is a slasher movie? Let me know. Because sake my curiosity on this. Uh, the mental health hotline, of course, is area code 775-387-0275. The email is thepaddedroom2011 at hotmail.com. Do you think that the Predator is a slasher film? I don't think so. But I now that Tim brings it up, I could see some correlations. And I may have to watch it again, just like through my slasher goggles to see if it fits the pacing and the, uh, the general template. Let's get over to London, England. Here comes the horror slut. Cat is in the house. Subject line, beefsteaks. She followed that up with two uh, hearty eyes emojis, whatever those are called. Evening, gents. If you do have a co-host this week, sorry to hear about your super long week. I do hope you get a chance to rest soon. Short note today, getting things ready for another double shift week, so... Another double shift week soon, so I haven't had much time to enjoy any movies. Just because I'm feeling cheeky, and I do do enjoy how creative you are with writing. <laughs> God damn it, with writing the odd fights, I think I'll vote for the tomato. Hee <laughs> hee. As a story you write, you write will surely give me a much needed giggle. Do have a safe and wonderful work week, cat. God damn it, cat. See, that's the problem. That's the problem right there. Is that I have to keep I, you motherfuckers keep forcing me to write about a goddamn tomato. You know that's not easy. I, oh, I'm not even going to deal with. I'm not. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Thank you very much for writing in, Cat. Uh, sorry about your double shifts. I hope they go smoothly and you. Um, I don't. Uh, uh, don't get uh, any piss bombs thrown at you. <laughs> I've I've seen some. Um, uh, Premier League soccer matches and the hooligans like to throw <laughs> like to throw piss bombs at the players sometimes. So I don't know why I jumped to Premier League soccer, Cat. Uh, that's probably racist in a weird way, but thank you anyway for writing in, and uh, I hope your work week goes smoothly. Let's get down to Southern California. Here comes Tony. Tony Tone in the house. Subject line, I am the boss now. Oh, shit. All right. Look out. Here he comes. He's going to, he, he, here comes Tony, everybody. He's going to lay the law down on me. Greetings, padded room. I have actually be the supervisor of my position for over a year, but due to COVID, we fell behind by about three months of work. I don't know what that means. We have finally caught back up, and now I can do more delegation and less actual work. Because of that, I can use my time at work to fit in movies. That a boy, Tony, very nice. In the last two weeks at work, I have watched Wakewood, the answer to educating Miss Darian. See that, see that what he did there? He said Miss Darian. You're a funny guy, this Tony. This is better than okay. I felt like it could be an X-Files episode. I don't like Aiden Gillen's Irish accent. I know that this that it is his natural voice. I just don't like it. Also, I wish the reason for the girl to turn bad wasn't an expiration date. You're right, Tony. I am Wakewood. But that... Okay. All right. All right. Let's... So clearly, this is basically in the same vein as Pet Cemetery, this movie. But it poses an interesting question to me, and one that I would pose to you, Tony, being a father also, and Tim, Kevin, 
I know some of you other guys out there are fathers or mothers, whatever the case may be. Say you lose a kid, right? It's tragic. It's disgusting. You don't want to you don't want to experience that. You don't want to go through that. Once the kid is gone, what length would you go to to bring him back or her? And more to the point, if you knew that there was a 72-hour grace period, would you want that? I submit that I would not because how do you enjoy that time with your uh deceased child knowing that the clock is ticking? You know what I mean? I don't think I I would prefer not. I'm going to go the Judd Crandall route and say sometimes dead is better. Um I don't know. I I I I would I wouldn't want that because I couldn't get past the the ticking clock and knowing that I only have 72 hours and then we have to say goodbye again and that's going to be the end for real this time and that's that's too much. Uh okay, what else? Silent night, bloody night, boring, so slow, hard to watch. You're wrong, Tony. The children, pretty good. It's not too often you get to see children impaled on camera. You're right. You're right about that. Underwater, decent enough. I think you have talked about it in the past. The monster is exactly what we all thought it was. I'm going to submit that it is not there, Tony. So I, I know I talked at length about underwater. The monster at the end is supposed to be Cthulhu. It is not. I mean, it, the director has said that it is Cthulhu. It is not Cthulhu. Anybody that's seen a picture of Cthulhu and then takes a look at that monster, there's a substantial difference, okay? If you want to show me Cthulhu, show me Cthulhu. I'll agree. There are bazillions of images out there of what Cthulhu is supposed to look like. Look no further than uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, really. But that thing, no. That thing had like a big Joker smile on it, my friend. I say uh, not so much. Shadow in the Cloud. Chloe Grace Moretz is old enough that we can say she is super hot. This was fun. It reminded me of the movie Sucker Punch. Yeah, I would agree with that. The Special. This is about the dangers of a glory hole. I think Tony put that about as eloquently as I did. That's a very strange movie. But yeah, you're right, Tone. I Am Lisa. A werewolf movie, but not really. It was stupid. Monica would probably like it. (laughs) You're probably right. You're probably right, Tone. The Devil Below, Creatures in a Cave that You Never See, it was not good. I think I've seen that one. That's the one with uh, Will Patton for about 10 minutes. The Hunt, this was really good. Stereotypical left-winged elite hunt, stereotypical right-winged deplorable. It was the Miss Liberty from the Netflix show Glow in it. It's worth watching. Okay, Hunter Hunter. A family that lives in North Canada off the grid is being stalked by a wolf and things happen. It's new, so I won't talk about it, but it's worth watching also. Sea Fever. I did watch Sea Fever, Tony. This is worth watching too. People on a fishing boat attacked by a parasite. It's like the bay, but out on the water as opposed to on the shore. I agree with that. P2, a Christmas movie. I like P2, Tony. I know a lot, it doesn't get a lot of love in the Christmas movie realm. I thought about putting it on uh, this year's list. I, I rather enjoyed it, and not just for the bouncy cleavage either. Elves. Binge the first season, but total runtime is less than three hours. The baby elf looks like something out of Trolls. Animated movie, but other than that, it was okay. In non-horror, the family watched 8-Bit Christmas. 
this is worth it. It basically, it's basically like a Christmas story, but instead of taking place in the 40s, it's in the 80s. The kid wants a Nintendo for Christmas. We, uh, we also watched Christmas Vacation and the first three Die Hard movies. Anyway, hope everyone is well, and we aren't just listening to Darian all night. Until next time, Tony. Wrong answer, Tony. You're stuck with me. <laughs> Here comes Tony again. Subject line, my Christmas wish. My Christmas wish is to have Darian's head ripped from his body <laughs> and then placed in a box so sexual deviants can blow their load on him <laughs> for 60 bucks a pop. Merry Christmas, Carter Burke. Fucking Carter Burke is writing in again. That cocksucker. He is the problem. He is the problem with uh, LV-420, LV-421, I think. Carter, you're a son of a bitch. And I'm glad you blew up on the landing craft, you piece of shit. All right, here comes Freddy from Parts Unknown. Subject line, hopefully in time. Hey, folks, I hope everyone is doing well. Just now shutting down for the night in upstate New York. And fingers crossed that I get this sent in time. You did. You did, Freddy. You made it. A quick vote for the fucking tomato. God damn it. Listen, people. If you're not going to be... If you're not going to vote responsibly, then I'm going to have to start doctoring the vote. Okay? The fuck... T- tomato. Okay. All right. You want the tomato? I'm kind of rooting for the little guy. LOL. And I'm sure what you write will be entertaining. Time to grab some grub and a shower. Be safe and drive careful. Cheers, Freddy. Thanks for writing in, Freddie. And thank you very much for voting for the motherfucking tomato. Here comes uh, back to Reno, Nevada. Here comes the cowboy. Okay, subject line to mate toe or not to mate toe. Listen to this guy. Evening padded room. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe with the snow and ice today. Pretty sure it's a solo show due to the weather. Good thing I do enjoy them. Quick note tonight, as I'm dealing with driving in the crappy weather, Darian, that sucks with a 16-day work run. Hopefully the weather isn't making it too rough. You know what, uh, Cowboy, at this point, I I got some news today, and it looks like uh, my 16-day work week is probably going to be more like a, fuck, 37-day work week. I, I do not have a day off in sight anytime soon, my friend, but... Thank you very much for your, your concern. I'll, I'll be fine. It's no big deal. Uh, educate, you are Wakewood. You are correct. If not, I'll probably be cussing when I hear what it is. Now for the Terradome. I was thinking about being a dick and voting for the tomato just to see what you came up with, but my vote is going for the mummy for logical reasons. Hope everyone has a great week. Catch you on the flip, cowboy. Right on, cowboy. At least somebody is using their head out there. God damn it. It's a tomato. It's a fucking tomato. They may, ketchup. You know? That's what that's where ketchup comes from. It's a tomato. All right. Well, I got some voicemails here, dudes. Are you ready for a couple of voicemails? Let's uh see what we got here in the voicemail box. Kicking things off all the way down in the dirty south. It's our main man from Alabama. The Predator Tank. Of people that call into the podcast. That's right. It's a Warhammer 40,000 reference. You dorks. Here comes Alan of the Cha-Cha. Added room. What's up? What's up, Alan? It's the root of all that's evil, but you can call me Cookie. All right, Cookie. Show. Hope everybody's doing good. We're okay. 
Terror Dome, give me the money. Thank you. Um, I mean, the, the tomato's stupid. I agree. Anyway, that's all I got. Not sure who Mr. Darian is. Have a good one. Bye. It was Wakewood. Thank you very much for calling in, Alan. I'm Wakewood. Um, if you haven't seen Wakewood, it's not a bad show. It's basically the exact same thing as Pet Cemetery, um, except there's a three-day grace period, and you can't leave the town. Uh, it's a very small town. This was actually part of the Hammer Horror resurgence that we saw in uh, the early 2010s, I think. They, they they kicked out a couple of good shows, Hammer Horror. Um, Let Me In was a Hammer Horror uh, Wakewood, um, there's a couple other ones. They were pretty, there was some good shows in there, but, uh, you got three days. The, the, the town vet loses his kid. Um, they bring him, they bring her back in this grotesque ritual, which was pretty dope actually. And the whole town has to get involved and he only has three days with her is the thing. Naturally, the fucking asshole tries to grab the kid and hightail it out of there and that doesn't end well, obviously. It never does. It never does. If you lose somebody and somebody says, hey, I can bring your, your brother or your sister or your daughter back, no, it's not going to end well. You know that. You're horror fans. All right, Alan, thank you very much for calling in. And thank you for voting logically also, my friend. Uh, let's see who's up next here. I believe it's going to be... Also from Southern California, Monica's pod boyfriend, Mr. Tom Hardy. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Padded room. How's my favorite degenerate this week? Ah, it's just me again. I think I maybe should start saying, how's my favorite degenerate this week? It's just week? me. Uh, you're working alone tonight there. As usual. Mr. Brock. Of course. Anyway, hope all is well. I wanted to get in real quick. Um, what do you, you think, know, of man? course, with the Terror Dome. Please don't. You know, and I think you had some pretty good points you were making. Uh-huh. But there's something I think you might be forgetting. Nobody and has that's wings. that, you know, the mummy right. is that, you know, 12-year-old prepubescent boy. It's, I, and so I think what would happen is he would see the tomato and think about trying to fuck it. And then that's when the tomato <laughs> would get him. So you can put my vote down on the tomato. You son of a um, bitch. And, uh, yep. The, um, now you're in trouble. Oh, the, the educating department. What do you think? Gotcha on this What do one. you got? It's Wakewood. Now, here's the worst fucking part, though. Okay. I didn't know that. I just happened to overhear somebody talking about a movie, and I said to myself, God damn, that kind of sounds like uh, that flick old, old boy Daring was talking about. All right. And sure as shit, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that Whoever one. it was, so, yeah. You, they I'm both, pissed off because right. I didn't really get that one, if you know what I mean. That's I okay. Kinda, That's all right. Circumstances. These things happen. Anyway, hope all is well. Oh, wait. There's one other thing. Yeah. I, on the educating department. Yes, sir. Uh, I got a chance to catch, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Not and a I bad know a lot show. of people have been like kind of back on this flick. I like, love it. You know, it was great. It was fun and all yeah. that. I just don't know if I can go with all that. What? I mean, it was all right, but I still, even not thinking of it as a Halloween or a Michael Myers flick. Right. I'm just like, I still don't know. I mean, it's a little screwy. It's a little screwball. Okay. I guess it's fun, but I, I don't know if I'd be willing you. to say it's great. or Right. 
not even sure I'm willing to call it good. Okay. Anyway, that's all I got. Hope all is well. Love you like family. Bye. Love you too, Tom Hardy. <clears throat> so, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I'm just going to say, I, I enjoy it. I like it quite a bit. I'm a Tom Atkins kind of a, de- kind of a guy. But more to the point, and this I think kind of speaks to horror fandom in general, it it's something that always popped up on AMC's Fear Fest or um, Joe Bob Briggs' Monster Vision. You know what I mean? It's something that was played regularly throughout my childhood. It's not. Is it a is it the best film ever? No, obviously not. Is it deeply flawed in many ways? Of course it is. It's very silly. <laughs> <laughs> you got Tom Atkins running around beating up robots. You got a uh, toy maker that has somehow managed to steal, I guess, one of the, the, the big rocks from Stonehenge. And now he's got this weird plot to kill all the kids. It's 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 wacky. It's wacky. But that these horror films and ones just like Halloween three and how they hit us when they hit us and the, the connection that we have to them is what makes us horror fans. You know what I'm saying? If I what if I sat, if I like did like got complete amnesia, you know, and just completely forgot, um, I don't know, not who I was, but just like erased my horror memory completely. And you sat me down and made me watch Halloween three season of the witch. I'd be like, what the fuck is this? This is dumb. (laughs) None of this makes sense. Uh, this doctor just completely dropped his life so that he could go and pursue faulty mask making or something. I I don't, I don't even know what's going on. He's nailing a, a storekeeper's hot daughter, on the the third meeting, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what, he, what bugs are exploding out of kids' heads for no reason. I would think this is a silly fucking movie, but because I saw it in 1980 whatever, and because it's been played so re- religiously on AMC's Fear Fest every year um, around Halloween time, and dude, uh, what USA up all night? Um, what that? Uh, what was that one I did? Uh, Captain USA, the Saturday movie, all that. Dude, this movie has been drugged through the mud of all of these regular shows that we used to watch. Zombo's House of Horror movies, for Christ's sakes. It's out there. I've seen it bazillions of times, when I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And now it kind of resonates with me, and it's almost part of my horror DNA. Is it a good show? No. I love it just because of the place it takes me to. You know what I'm saying? It, it takes me back to those days. All right, I'm dro- I've droned on long enough. Thank you very much for calling in, Tom Hardy, you son of a bitch. Uh, fuck you very much for voting for the tomato, of course. Alan, uh, Tony, Carter Burke, the horror slut, Cat, uh, Cowboy, Freddy, Kevin, Tim, all you guys, love you guys. Thank you for writing in and your continued correspondence and your continued support of the Padded Room Podcast. It's time now for me to get into a movie. His hands. Somebody cut off his hands. Silent Night, Bloody Night, starring Patrick O'Neill and Astrid Heron. Yeah, Butler wasn't kidding. Nobody's lived here for years. 
don't laugh at me. I want your ID. Some maniac escaped from Margaretville. Would you like to drive there? Also starring John Carradine. Was the night before Christmas. And all through the house, not a creature was left living. Silent night. Bloody night. It is Silent Night, Bloody Night from 1972. It got 5.4 stars on IMDb. It's written and directed by Theodore Gershuni. It's got an R rating. Stars Patrick O'Neill, James Patterson, and Mary Warnoff. Um, some of you guys about my age, or maybe a little bit older, may remember Mary Warnoff. She's still around. Um, bit of a genre actress. You'll remember her from Chopping Mall, um, Night of the Comet, um, some other ones. Not quite Scream Queen status, but still, she's got a face you'd recognize. And I think this was one of her first movies. She's very young in this one. Much more attractive than in her 80s, 90s roles. Um, this one, I, I rather enjoyed it. Has anybody seen this one other than me and Tony? I rather enjoyed it. Very atmospheric. Um, Christmas, sort of. It's uh, set about the Christmas holiday, but really has nothing to do with Christmas at all whatsoever. But it's still, I, th- I thought it was very good. I thought it was pretty good. Um, we start off actually in 1950. And all we're going to get, out, well, actually we start off in present day 1972, where we see Mary Warrenoff playing uh, Diane Butler, uh, walking around and reminiscing about her line- her familial house and how it's about to be torn down and all of the violence and wreckage and how it probably should be torn down. And then we cut back to 1950, where we see her, I guess, great-grandfather come stumbling out of the house on fire. And from there, we get some backstory about Butler House and how this whole fucking shit show came to be. Uh, the guy that built the house would be her great grandfather, William but- or Wilford Butler, right? I take that back. That she wasn't the granddaughter; she was actually the mayor's daughter. But we'll get to that in a second. I'm already all fucked up. This is a, actually a very involved story here, and you got to really pay attention to. Figure out what's going on. Good thing I did it for you, so you don't have to watch this movie. <laughs> so, guy comes stumbling out of the house in 1950 on fire. New Year or uh, Christmas Eve, actually. Uh, he is pronounced dead. He's named Will Wilford Butler, the guy that built the house back in the 30s. Okay. So from there, we're going to cut to present day, 1972. We get like some newspaper clippings and things like that. Basically, Wilford left the house to his grandson, Jeff Butler. Uh, Jeff Butler refused to sell the house or have it demolished or live there. Uh, Basically, the house has stood empty. It's a a really nice house, by the way. It's like this... um, colonial style mansion i guess is what you'd call it we're in massachusetts by the way so it's got like that new england feel to it like we're and and we're in the middle of the winter like christmas time so everything is bleak 
and desolate, and it's a very small town. We're in, uh, where are we? I wrote it down here. We're in East Willard, Massachusetts, which I don't think is an actual town. But uh, the place looks desolate. You know what I'm saying? Very, very low activity for East Willard going on here. So now we're going to cut to present day, 1972. And Jeff, who is the heir apparent to Butler House, has finally decided to sell the place. Now, he's not going to participate in the sale. He's hired an attorney an attorney to facilitate the whole thing for him. So this dude, Mr. Carter, rolls up into East Willard, and he's going to broker a deal between the, uh, the mayor and the townspeople because they want the house gone. They want to demolish it. It's we're going to get some history on the house in a minute, but really nothing good has ever happened in this house. It's just a fucking reminder to everybody of the town's previous inhumanities and some really disgusting shit that went down there. So the townspeople just want this house erased completely. Part of the terms of Jeffrey's inheritance was that the house had to stand and he could not sell it, and it had to remain exactly as it was on the night in 1950 when Wilford uh, set himself on fire, or whatever the fuck happened there. I don't know. So that's great. Here comes uh, Mr. Carter, attorney at law. He rolls into town in a Bentley with a strange, albeit highly attractive, Eastern European young lady with him. Uh, Carter, by the way, is probably in his late 50s. The young lady he's with early 20s at the latest okay now i know what you're thinking you're thinking darian uh this carter attorney guy is probably some kind of a scumbag you're exactly right and we're going to cement that into place here in a second because carter rolls into town played by patrick o'neill patrick o'neill is not (laughs) he's not an attractive man all right i get it he's supposed to be like a high power attorney but this is 1972 where everybody was chain smoking and wearing polyester pants. I could only surmise that the inside of that Bentley smelled like a armpit that had been swaddled with a dirty ashtray and some ball sweat. And we're expected to buy that this hot European young lady was all over patrick o'neill all right whatever man well I, that 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 was the style of filmmaking back then so i guess we're just gonna have to sign off on it for now uh he rolls into town he has a meeting with the mayor and the mayor has gathered a couple of his cohorts a random smattering of townspeople show up to this meeting we have tess who is the local switchboard operator i don't think anybody was still using a switchboard in 1972 but whatever we'll sign off on it we have uh, the town sheriff, and then we have John Carradine playing the, um, he was like the chief editor of the town newspaper, but he never spoke a word. All he did was ding a bell periodically when people thought he might have something to say. Uh, I'm really glad that they didn't showcase John Carradine's hands in this, because if you're a horror fan, you know John Carradine. He pops up all over the place. He had the worst arthritis you have ever seen in your life. Take your hand, either one of them, hold it out in front of you like you're about to high-five somebody. Now, imagine all of your fingers, instead of pointing up, are pointing to the right and down. 
and you can't move them. That's how gnarly this guy's arthritis was. Fucked him up real good. He kept acting, though, and uh, both of his sons went on to prominent acting careers. Uh, David Carradine, of course, Kung Fu, and the other one, there's another Carradine, I think, that was in the Revenge of the Nerds movies or something like that. Robert? Was there Robert Carradine? There's a lot of Carradines out there, but uh, there you have it. Anyway, he rolls up into, in, into this town meeting with these guys, the uh, Carter, the attorney, and he's like, look, uh, my client wants to sell his house. He's willing to get rid of it dirt cheap uh, to you guys or anybody, really. $50,000 delivered in cash by noon tomorrow. The house is yours. Now, this is a huge house, and even by today's standards, $50,000 for that house and the land it sits on is a hell of a, a hell of a buy. The mayor's like, oh, geez, where am I going to get $50,000? Oh, let me go talk to the bank. Shit. The attorney leaves. Uh, we find out that the attorney with his uh, concubine or whatever she was is planning on staying at the house that night. Now, uh, a couple of things. Before the attorney leaves, he stops by a payphone and calls his wife and kids. Yeah, you fucking scumbag. Uh, he's actually cheating on his wife with this hot chick, which I don't necessarily fault him for, but to, you know, talk to your kids while you're about to get blown by the hot European chick. That's, uh, it's just another level of weird, I guess. He goes back to the house. Uh, the townspeople try to convince him to not stay at the house. They're like, dude, we'll put you up at the hotel. All expenses on us. Don't stay there. There's no electricity. He's like, oh, well, I've had the electricity turned back on and the phone is working and everything is great. So don't worry about that. He goes back to the house. Uh, he gets his uh, European concubine all liquored up and they're on the point of having sex. Or actually, I think they may have actually done it. Uh, we get to see Patrick O'Neill with his shirt off. That's no good. <laughs> What? Uh, I, I get it. This is kind of a throwback to the 1950 style of filmmaking in which all the action heroes were in their early 60s for some goddamn reason. But we didn't need to see this old flabby guy with his shirt off, did we? No. And then to imagine him in some kind of a sexual situation with a hot 21-year-old. Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, they're going at it. Uh, periodically... We're going we're gonna to cut to an Evil Dead slash Michael Myers camera of somebody creeping around the house. Now, a couple of things that I really liked about this movie. The atmosphere of the house and of the small town. Um, in, the, in the scenes in which people are in the house, there's no background music. It is dead silent. There's electricity in the house. There's no stereo, there's no TV, there's no nothing. So you're literally left alone in the house with yourself and whoever you brought with you, which is something that adds to the atmosphere, I think. Considering the size and the scope of the house and the way it's set up, it's very um, Haunted Mansion from Disneyland, I guess, for lack of a better uh, comparison. It's very old, old-timey, you know what I mean? And being left alone in there... that. Y- y- you're, you're looking at all these family pictures of people you don't know and you're, you know, they're all from the thirties and forties and twenties and shit like that. It's very atmospheric. Something that I think could have been better utilized a little bit to an extent, but still well done. Uh, eventually our POV, uh, evil dead slash Michael Myers camera kicks the door open on the bedroom and we get to see the attorney and his, uh, 
little floozy get murdered with an axe, which is pretty sweet. They get chopped right up. Uh, from there, the phone has been turned back on by Tess, back to the switchboard. So whoever our killer is immediately grabs the phone and calls the police, civic-minded as he is. He identifi- identifies himself as Marianne and begs the uh, sheriff to come down there, but in a weird kind of way. Number one, the voice on the other end of the phone is clearly not female, so we have to sur- we have to kind of, I guess, assume that there is some kind of historical context but behind the name Marianne. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, number two, the dialect of the killer is very strange. And it's, um, I don't want to say old-timey, but it's overly articulate in a way. Won't you please come? Come down here and see me. It's me, Marianne. Don't you remember? Please tell me you remember. You know what I mean? People don't talk like that, and I don't think they talk like that in 1972 either. 1932, perhaps. Anyway, that's kind of strange also. He gets put through. Now, Tess, the switchboard operator, is eavesdropping on this whole conversation because she thinks she's going to overhear some salacious something from the attorney. Instead, what she gets is this killer voice identifying himself as Marianne. Now, as we watch this scene, we're going to notice a hint of recognition from the actress portraying Tess and also from the sheriff. Mind you, both of those two characters were present at the town meeting that happened earlier in the in the movie. So the sheriff is like, "Yeah, okay, I'll get down there. You just you just sit tight there." So the sheriff rolls up all by himself. Uh, mind you, this is a palatial estate kind of a thing, so he has to stop at a security gate and let him let him open the gate so that he can drive his squad car through. As he's doing that, somebody jumps out from behind the gate and murders the sheriff with a shovel. Alrighty. Excellent. Now, about this time, we're going to cut back to Mary Warrenoff, who we hadn't heard or seen from in this movie, except for at the very beginning where she was kind of introducing the property. She is actually the mayor's daughter. Her name is Diane, and she is just kind of hanging out at, at, at her house. Earlier that day, she drove past a guy that was kind of uh, parked off on the side of the road. And as she was driving past him, she heard that there had been an escaped lunatic from a nearby mental asylum on the, on the radio. Now, it's not so much to say that the guy that she drove past was an escaped lunatic. And it's never mentioned really again, this escaped lunatic scenario. Except that she drove past a guy who had a little bit of a crazy face on him, let's be honest, but was not necessarily dangerous or threatening in any way. She is at home later that night, and there's a knock on her door, so naturally, the first thing she does is grab a loaded uh, forty-five, and she's like, all right, come on in, it's open. She's pointing the gun at the door. In walks the guy that uh, she passed on the interstate with a broken-down car. And he's like, whoa, 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 there, sorry, didn't mean to... Hey, what's with all the gunplay? And she's like, who are you? What's going on? He's like, my name is Jeffrey Butler, and I'm here to see what's going on with my house I'm trying to sell. So here comes this young man. He's identifying himself as Jeffrey Butler. The first thing she does, and I actually applaud her for this, is check his ID to make sure that he is, in fact, who he says he is and not an escaped lunatic. Uh, So... (laughs) 
<laughs> this is where things get a little weird here in this movie, my friends. So he produces the ID. It's a California ID. Mind you, we are in the great state of Massachusetts, which is some distance away. Um, he's more to the point. He puts her at ease because he is not the escape lunatic. Most of the time, escape lunatics don't carry ID. So there's that. And uh, really, we can just wad up that escape lunatic thing and throw it out the window because it's going to have no further bearing on our movie at all whatsoever. I kind of wish it would have, but it doesn't. Um, from there, she like kind of befriends Jeffrey and Jeff's like, oh, I just came to make sure my house was going to get sold. I went and stopped by, uh, my attorney's car was there, but nobody answered the door. What the fuck's going on? And she's like, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, if you head down the road here, the sheriff's, uh, house is right down there. He's got a key to your house. He can at least let you in. So he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Now at this point, you're going to notice if you watch this movie, that whenever uh, murder takes place, Jeff is not present. He's not with anybody else. That's a red herring. I'm going to tell you right now. Jeff is not the killer. So he disappears. That's when the sheriff gets killed. He reappears back at uh, Mary's house, or uh, Diane's house, played by Mary Warnoff. He's like, hey, dude, uh, the sheriff went at his house. I'm just trying to... What? I, is there anybody at my house? The sheriff's not at his house. I would like to make sure that my own home, which is right up the road, is okay. My attorney is supposed to be staying there. His car's there. He's not. All the lights are on. What the fuck is going on? I don't have a key to my own house. So finally, uh, Diane calls her dad, who's like three three towns away trying to round up $50,000. And he tells her to take Jeff to uh, Tallman's house. Now, Tallman is the editor of the newspaper, played by John Carradine. So he's like, all right, well, I'm going to take you over there. Uh, I guess Tallman has a key for you. So let's go. Let's go check that out. So they go over to the newspaper office where Tallman is working late on the late edition of the newspaper or whatever. Uh, he introduces himself. Tallman doesn't speak. He just rings that bell. And eventually, um, Tallman's like, uh, or actually Jeff and, and Diane are like, well, the sheriff went over there and he hasn't come back yet. And my attorney's over there and he hasn't come back yet. I think something weird is going on. So they decide that uh, Diane should wait there at the newspaper office. Jeffrey and Tallman are going to go to the house and check out what's going on. Right? Makes sense so far. Now, while that's going on, <laughs> while that's going on uh, we're going to cut back to the house where whoever our Evil Dead slash Michael Myers cam is has kicked the living shit out of the attorney's Bentley and somehow managed to blow it up. So now it's a flaming, smoking rubble in the driveway, and uh, not to mention the dead sheriff laying just outside the gate. So up rolls Tallman and Jeff. They're like, holy shit, there's a car on fire. And oh, god damn it, that's my attorney's car. Tallman jumps out of the car and just goes running off, which is very strange. Uh, about that time, Tess, the switchboard operator, gets a phone call from quote-unquote Marianne saying, Tess, won't you please come down to the house? I know who you are, and I know what's really going on. Come and see me, Tess. <laughs> Tess is like, what? Hello? Hello? Uh, Okay. So she calls her little girlfriend to come and watch the switchboard for her, and she hauls ass down to the house. 
driving right past the smoking wreckage of the uh, Bentley, goes inside and gets like a flashlight shown in her face where the killer uh, accuses her of being fat. (laughs) Fat and old, which is not necessary. I mean, if you're going to kill her, then kill her. I don't think we need to hurt anybody's feelings, but... He's like, Tess, you've gotten old and fat. <laughs> and then he uh, gives her like 40 wax with a hatchet or something like that. He kills Tess. So at this point, really the only one left of the original uh, town meeting is Tallman. Uh, and as that's going on, there, Tallman and Jeff are downstairs. Once Tallman sees the wreckage of the, uh, the Bentley and sees the dead body of the sheriff, he just goes hauling ass out into the, the, the darkness. So Jeff is like, well, fuck, (laughs) what am I supposed to do now? He just kind of borrows Tallman's car, drives back to the newspaper office. Now, while they were gone from the newspaper office, Diane got very curious and started like uh, doing like some digging and searching into the the history of the town and the history of the house and all that. Uh, It's very fun. It's very it's it's a bad it's a bad place, dude. So, basically, what we find out is that, uh, okay, hang out with me here, because this is, we're about to do a deep dive. Um, Jeff is the illegitimate son of Marianne. Marianne was his mother. Marianne is the daughter of Wilford Butler, okay? Wilford Butler built the house back in the 30s, okay? Um, Jeff was, uh, so, uh, Mary Ann Butler was beaten and raped when she was 15. She got pregnant from that uh, situation, and that's how Jeff was born. Jeff was immediately sent off to California to be raised by relatives, and that's where he grew up. Mary Ann, on the other hand, was committed to a mental institution. That's where we're going to leave that for right now, okay? Now, we're going to cut back to uh, Jeff, who hauls ass back to the uh, newspaper office to grab Diane. Diane's like, hey, man, uh, found this shit. Uh, check this out. Your mom was beaten and raped, and nobody knows who your dad is, except he's a rapist. Looks like, uh, yeah, so your your grandfather, Wilford, uh, you know, left this house for you, so that's how it, that, that's where we're at, basically. And he's like, oh, perfect. And she's like, oh, by the way, I found keys to your house here in this desk. Uh, how about we go go in there and check it out, finally? Excellent. Let's do that. By the way... Uh, there's a dead cop in the front yard. Uh, Tallman, the crazy bitch, just ran off into the woods. And uh, yeah, I still can't get into the house, so let's go back. So Diane and Jeff go back to the house. Now, in the meantime, somehow, the entire town has gone completely empty. There's no cops at the sheriff's office. There's nobody manning the switchboard. Everybody is gone. Where did they go? I don't know. And we're never going to find out. Well, we'll sort of get a half-ass excuse, but not really. Uh, They get back to the house. Jeff is like, ah, there's a dead cop in the front yard and a smoldering Bentley. Good chance my attorney is dead in there. I'm going to go inside there, Diane. Uh, You stay here in the car because I think there may be some dangerous shit going on in there. All right, fine. Uh, Jeff goes in, starts poking around. The first thing he comes across is a diary of Wilford Butler. Now this is maybe the only saving grace of this movie because we're going to get a flashback sequence here which kicks ass, all right? 
what we're going to learn, and this this flashback sequence is very stylized. It's shot like in a weird Sephora kind of a context, so it makes everything look very dirty and grimy. Um, the, the, the gist of the flashback is this, okay? So what happened was Wilford, the son of a bitch, uh, actually fathered Jeff with his daughter, uh, Marianne. So... She wasn't beaten, well, she may have been beaten, but she was definitely raped by her father, the offspring of which is Jeff, who is the product of incest, obviously. The trauma of that event sent Marianne into a uh, mental break, and she needed therapy, and uh, she basically kind of went crazy there for a little bit. At the ripe old age of 15, mind you. Uh, Wilford felt horrible about the whole thing, as he should, so what he did was he converted his house into a mental institution, invited like six or eight of the most the best doctors available to come live with him and treat his daughter exclusively. And since he had extra room, he brought in a bunch of other mental patients so that they could work on them also. Now, Wilford, mind you, was uh, some kind of a crazy millionaire, so he had money to do all this. So... Um, Fast forward a couple of years, zero progress has been made with uh, Marianne or any of the other mental patients. In fact, the doctors that he invited to live with him have basically just turned the house into one big party house and they're just getting fucking fat and (laughs) uh, they're eating way too much and drinking and they're partying all the goddamn time and zero treatment is happening. Um, the, the Marianne hasn't really changed much and neither have any of the other mental patients. And Wilford has had about enough of this horse shit. So he decides Christmas Eve, 1930 or 30 ish, uh, that he's had enough of this horse shit. These doctors are decadent and fat and, uh, they're party animals and they're basically just squandering his money and they're not lifting a finger to help anybody. So he's going to take Marianne and get the fuck out of there and fuck these guys. So what he does, he uh, invites them all to like the ballroom for this big uh, Christmas party. Gets them all fat and happy and drunk to the point where they all pass out there in the, in the dining room. Then he goes upstairs, gets his daughter, Marianne, uh, leads her outside, and then goes to the mental ward and opens all the doors to all of the uh, safety cells and all the lunatics quietly, in this part kicked ass, very quietly make their way out of their cells into the barn where they all grab pitchforks, pickaxes, shovel spades, other farming implements, and then quietly creep into the ballroom where all the doctors have passed out from partying too much and this this is this is the saving grace of the whole movie, if you ask me. They quietly sneak up around this big table where all the doctors are passed out. One of the psychos takes a champagne glass, drinks it, breaks it on the table, and then jams it into the doctor's eye and twists it so that the eyeball comes out. And then just a big bloody massacre occurs from there. All you see is people screaming and shirts being ripped off and clubs swinging and fucking axes and all kinds of shit. Uh, that's pretty much the end of your flashback, except for a voiceover from uh, whoever Wilford, Brim, uh, Wilford Butler is. 
explaining that somehow in the chaos and the confusion of that night, his daughter, Marianne, got caught up in the ballroom and was also murdered by the lunatics. Uh, They probably thought she was part of the establishment or whatever, so they killed her too, unfortunately. He managed to flee and uh, kind of spent his life after that living in seclusion, in prisons and mental hospitals and things like that. And uh, until 1930, or 1950, when he came back and somehow managed to light himself on fire. So that is a pretty wacky dude. Just watch this flashback sequence. That, to me, made the whole movie, but that's just me. Um, From there, Jeff kind of snaps out of it. Uh, The mayor has made his way back into town. He very quickly does the math that his daughter is missing, but Jeffrey is here, and he remembers talking to her and her asking about Jeffrey. So he grabs a shotgun and heads over to the butler house also. Now, at this point, Jeff has, for some reason, put himself in a tuxedo. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, but uh, Diane comes into the house also, and she's running around with a gun, and she's like, God damn it, Jeff, we need to get out of here. He's like, you're right. As they're having this conversation, they hear the mayor walking up the front steps. So Diane's like, oh, shit, Uh, that's probably the killer. So she hands Jeff the gun. Mayor walks in with a shotgun. Jeff is there with a pistol. They shoot each other and kill each other there in the middle of the entryway. Fuck. All right. That's pretty gnarly. But then... We cut back to POV Michael Myers' Evil Dead camera, and we find out that the real killer is still in the house. And Diane, poor young Mary Warrenoff, is down in the entryway, and she doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Then we find out who the real killer is. It's none other than Wilford Butler himself. He did not die when uh, the he put himself on fire in 1930. In fact, he didn't put himself on fire in 1930. He went back to the house, found a vagrant living there, put that poor son of a bitch on fire and killed him, kicked him out into the snow where he died. They just assumed that that was Wilford Butler because who the hell else would be in that house to begin with, right? And now he's been living in the house the whole time and anybody that goes into the house gets killed by him because he's batshit crazy and uh, he doesn't want people anywhere near that house, I guess. So now... He comes stalking down the stairs. He looks kind of like a smudgy-faced Albert Einstein, like with crazy hair, but he's got like weird gray shit on his face. I don't know what that was supposed to mean. Uh, Mary lunges for the pistol by Jeffrey's body, grabs it, unloads it into Wilford. That's the end of your move. Well, now we cut back to present day where uh, Diane is walking through the woods explaining about how the bulldozers are going to come and demolish the place. And that's pretty much the end of your movie. I like this one a lot. This one is public domain. You can find it on YouTube, uh, 2B. I found it in one of my public domain box sets. It's I, I really enjoyed it. I know Tony didn't, but I found it to be very atmospheric. Kept me guessing at who the killer was throughout the entire movie. I know I just spoiled it for you. Sorry about that. Still, definitely worth a watch. If you can find some kind of like a remastered copy or something like that, it'd probably work a lot better for you. Um Definitely worth checking out, though. That is Silent Night, Bloody Night. Check it out. I'm going to take myself a little break. I'll be right back with you. Today, right now, you are going to war. You are going into war with your opponent. You are going to war with yourself. 
You are not scared. You are prepared. You are not weak. You are a machine. A freak. Are you focused? I am focused. I am focused. I am focused. Yes, you are. You are focused and you will not lose sight of that. Not today, not tomorrow, next week, or next year. Repeat after me. Today is my day. No one will get in the way of my dream, of my growth, or my desire to be the very best in my chosen field. Yes, I said the best. No one has the right to take the mantle from me. I will sacrifice until I reach the very top. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how many times life beat me down, I will get up every time. I will fight to the nail. Desire, drive, determination, and fire, they burn within me. I will not back down. I will not repeat. When my body screams no, I will scream louder. Yes, give me more. Push me harder. Because I know my courage lies in my heart. My heart is stronger than my body. No one has a stronger heart, a stronger mind. Send me 10,000 men, and I will defeat them all with my heart alone. I am focused. I have the heart of a lion, the strength of ten, and the bleeding desire of a thousand men. I am prepared for battle. I am prepared to soar. Come at me. I dare you. It's time for war. Respect is not given. It is earned. I don't need an alarm clock. My goals wait me. My desire waits me. My purpose waits me. I don't need haters to fuel my fire. My purpose is my fire. My family is my fire. My greatness is my fire. I don't need others' opinions. I have my own opinion. I have my own heart. I have my own dreams. There's nothing I cannot be, do, or have. No one can tell me what I can or can't do. I decide what is possible for me. I decide what path I will choose. I will decide what sacrifices will be made. What people will walk with me. What people I must let go. I decide how big my goals are, how crazy they might seem to ordinary people. I am far from ordinary. I don't pick average anything. I am anything but average. I want more, I will be more. Because I will give more, more effort, more pain, more sacrifice, more heart, more courage. And what comes next? More reward.
If you like what you hear, head over to the Padded Room Facebook group and support us through the patron link with a small monthly donation. Check out the T-Villain link at paddedroom.podbean.com and grab some t-shirts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. And I am back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you what, my friends, if I'm ever given the choice between staying at a creepy old house with a hot, young, Eastern European young lady, or a best Western by myself, I, th- I honestly, I think I, I, I probably go with the creepy old house. Not for sexual reasons, I'm just a fan of creepy things, and um, I, ca- I don't know that I could say no to a creepy old house. Plus, I wouldn't be there alone, obviously, right? I'm not saying anything's going to happen, between me and the uh, European lady, but but on the other hand, the Best Western probably has free HBO and possibly even a continental breakfast. So there's that also. That's a hard decision to make, really, now that I think about it, because, you know, Best Western, you may have access to a gym or a uh, pool also. You're not going to find that at a creepy old house. That's for sure. What you will find, though, is some great selfie opportunities, I bet with some weird, creepy stuff. So there's that also to think about. It's a hard decision to make now that I think about it. All right, enough about me and my droning on. Shall we get into the Terra Dome, you sons of bitches? No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. I'll kill you all. I'll drive you crazy. I'll kill you all. I'll dream come true. Six-year-old child with this blind, pale, emotional face. The blackest eyes. The devil. To the Terradome. Let's take a look at last week's winners, shall we? Singles competition, we had the Beefcake Tomato versus the Mummy. The temple was in ruins. Amonette's magic had backfired. Her beauty and seduction was poised to capture the hearts of men, but was useless, useless against vegetables. Now, with the power of Amun-Ra, the tomato resistance would rise again, striking into the heart of Africa and capturing the world's resources, all thanks to the triumph of the beefcake tomato soldier. With a vote of 10 to 5, the tomato advances over the mummy. Yeah, that's right, I said it, it's a goddamn tomato. Yeah, goddamn 
goddamn people with your tomatoes. All right. Uh, no fights this week, inmates, unfortunately. However, I am going to announce. We just closed out the semifinals. I'm going to announce the finals right now. As soon as I open up the old Terradome notebook here. I got like 15 different notebooks. And I basically have to juggle them every show. So there's that. Uh, let's see here. In the Inferno Conference, we're going to have the Tomato versus the Maniac Cop. Uh, we're also going to have Syl versus the Xenomorph. In the Asylum Conference, we're going to have Freddy versus Jigsaw and Pyramid Head versus Kaiko. So those are your fight. We're going to pick those up next week in the Asylum Conference, ladies and gentlemen. Join us for that, or join me for that, really. Um, in the meantime, you can still write or call in for whatever other things you'd like to discuss. The Mental Health Hotline, of course, is area code 775-387-0275. Or you get me on the regular old email at thepaddedroom2011 at hotmail.com. In the meantime, my friends, I've got to tell you what movies I got to watch this week. What are you looking at? I am trying to catch up with 2021 horror movies. I've been avoiding it for the most part because uh, it's, from what I've gathered, it's very heavy-handed with the social posturing and the political horseshit and the wokeness and all that. And uh, so far, (laughs) that's pretty much how it's been. But I'm trying to catch up anyway. I started with Spiral from the Book of Saw from 2021, starring Chris Rock. Um, It's not bad. It's not a bad show. I wouldn't, it doesn't feel like a Saw movie to me, is the thing. You know what I mean? It feels like uh, probably 85% cop drama and 15% Saw. Um, it's not to say that it's a bad movie. It, uh, I'm sorry. I, have you guys seen this? Was it just me or was it kind of hard to take Chris Rock seriously? I kept expecting him to bust out with some witty one-liner or something like that. He never did. And, you know, it's not to say that he can't be a serious actor. It's just... I don't think he has he had any serious roles other than New Jack City. I don't think he has uh, that I'm aware of. Other than this, it's kind of hard, honestly, to take him seriously. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe maybe he just needs more serious roles. But it's not a bad show. Doesn't feel like a, a Saw movie to me at all. But that doesn't necessarily make it bad. Uh, I also watched The Forever Purge from 2021. Um. <clears throat> I don't know, man. I feel like we kind of jumped the shark. And I, I, I see what they they went for here. Uh, I kind of felt like they... It's a, it's a weird thing that they... I, I, they, they wanted... Hmm. I don't know, now that I think about it. I don't know what they're going for. At times, I felt like they were equating the purgers to like the Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement and all the damage and destruction that they caused. But at the same time, they laid it on pretty heavy with the white privilege and the uh, white superiority uh, stuff. So I don't know, man. I don't know. It's kind of, I guess it's better that way because it's, you know, that way you don't know which side 
this movie is taking, so that way you can kind of point the finger in either direction. Um, it's not bad. It's I, the, the concept is basically that the purge has been reinstated, and I feel I I felt like they kind of jumped the shark on that because, like, at the end of at the end of the third purge movie, election year, they firmly stated that the purge had been abolished and that it was never coming back, and they put some kind of a clause in so where it could never be reinstated. But then at the beginning of this movie, instead of having some kind of a buildup, they just said, meh, yeah, it's been reinstated. We're going to do it anyway. And that that's it. That's all we got. <laughs> that's all we get is a quick one-line snippet at the beginning, and you can't do any better than that. I don't know. Anyway, it's been reinstated, except these days, the pur- when the purge is over, a lot of dickheads just decided they were going to keep it going. And that spreads into some big social media movement and... Before you know it, cities are falling and the military is pulling out and chaos is ensuing. Um, I I think I might be done with the purge. I I like the first couple. Um, I don't know, man. I felt like this was kind of a cash grab. I don't think we needed this. To be honest with you. Anyway, that's all I'm looking at this week. How about some immersion therapy, you maniacs? Immersion therapy. Did anybody else get to check out Screams of a Winter Night from 1979? Uh, I rather dug this one. It's streaming on Shudder. It's an anthology movie, but they did something pretty cool here. Uh, Campy, um, you know, standard slasher fare, but with like different themes. What they did, though, and I thought this was kind of cool... They use the same actors for all of the different uh, vignettes. So, but in a, in a weird kind of quirky way to where the asshole always plays the asshole. The stud always plays the stud. The bimbo always plays the bimbo. And they just kind of, they keep those character archetypes, even though they're playing different characters in these different vignettes. But they all kind of fit into the same place in the same stories which is kind of cool. I thought that was, I don't think we've ever seen that before unless you count uh, American Horror Story, but I don't know if that's the same. Uh, definitely worth checking out, I thought. In the, the the ending's kind of weird. They try to wrap it all up with some kind of a wind demon thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's, I thought it was worth checking out. Apparently, I'm the only one that got to watch it. Um, if you have Shudder, check it out. It's worth and you're in the mood for an anthology, I think it's worth watching. Uh, your immersion therapy for this week is going to be From Within, from 2008, uh, starring Elizabeth Rice and Thomas Decker. Something about uh, a rash of suicides in a small town. You can find this bad guy streaming on Netflix. Check this shit out, inmates. I will do the same, and you and I can compare notes next week. In the meantime, we must now educate, I guess, me. Educating Miss Monica.
First, my clues from last week. Well, I'll be goddamn if my daughter didn't die a couple days after I moved to this podunk town. I'm supposed to be the veterinarian here, and now I just want to get the fuck out of here as fast as I can since my my daughter died. But the local townspeople have promised me that they can bring her back for a couple of days if I promise to stay. Of course I want them to bring her back for a couple of days, and of course I'm going to try to get the fuck out of here with my now somewhat zombie-esque daughter as fast as I can once they bring her back. I am, of course, Wakewood, which is a pretty good show. Um, I don't think it's better than Pet Cemetery. It's definitely along those same lines, but uh, this one put like a cool folklore aspect on it. Same story, basically. Um, instead of the kid being all crazy and killing people, it's really the town. But they have like their own kind of black magic that they're doing, and it's it's a pretty good show. Like I said, it was part of the Hammer resurgence from the early 2010s. There's a couple other movies in there that are definitely worth watching. Wakewood itself isn't bad either, if you haven't seen that one. Who might I be this week, you ask yourself? Well, I'll tell you. I <laughs> like to do drugs. Quite a bit, and I have found myself a gang of absolute degenerates who want to do drugs with me. Um, Unfortunately, within that gang of degenerates is one really hot chick that I'm trying to get on top of, and periodically I think I get her drugged up just enough to where she wants to get on top of me. I'll be goddamn if we didn't happen to find the seven gates of hell along a certain decrepit uh, pathway in the woods. So, down we go with our bag of drugs, me and my lady friend here, and uh, when I snap out of my haze, she is missing, son of a bitch. Incidentally, if anybody would like to punch me in the head, they can do so on the boardwalk for a very low fee. Think about that, inmates. I will clue you in on who I am next week. Uh, That's a very strange movie, and I'm not sure I 100% understand it, but it's something. Um, in the meantime, thank you guys again very much for joining me here in the padded room. Sorry about the solo shows. I think this is how it's going to be until I can find another warm body to sit in here on a sultry Tuesday night. And um, yeah, that's going to be about that. Join me next week for I Trapped the Devil here in weird, unconventional Christmas horror month here in the padded room. I do have a Patreon campaign running. If anybody gives a shit, you can find the link at paddedroompodcast.com. A small $5 donation is going to get you a Padded Room t-shirt, a Padded Room coffee mug, and complete and total control of the month of January. Go to paddedroompodcast.com. Hit that Patreon link. It'll take you where you need to go and tell you what you need to do, and then that'll be that. In the meantime, for Buddy in absentia, Miss Monica, also in absentia, Seven Gates of Hell, um, houses that were retrofitted into mental asylums and then refitted into abandoned, creepy, old, possibly haunted situations. Uh, Small towns in New England. Goddamn small towns in New England, right? What the fuck good has ever happened in a small New England town? Nothing. Nothing. They got clowns in the sewers. They got uh, rabid St. Bernard's running around. Now they got this fucking house. It's it's bad. Stay out of New England small towns. You don't want it. And the Padded Room Podcast. I'm afraid visiting hours are over. Good time.